0: morning. Please stand for the reading of the word. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Habakkuk chapter 3 reading verses 17 through to 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails And the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, nor no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to trade under heights praise be to god
1: thank you in our current series we are talking about living defiantly it is uh, almost a natural reflex that when we live in a culture that has turned against Jesus and against the Bible, that we become defensive and we start withdrawing. But really, we need to do the opposite. We need to become, go on the offensive, especially in the area of praise and worship. And the verses we're going to look at today are some of my favorite in the entire Bible. And... Uh, really excited about what God has to share with us. Lord, we thank you so much for your prophets and and what they experienced, even though it came from very, very heartbreaking situations. And yet uh, you were able to sustain them. And they came up with some of the most profound examples of of faith. So we just uh, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to uh, look at the prophecy of Habakkuk. And also apply to our lives. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, these days uh, parents will name their sons Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezra, Malachi, even Ezekiel. But I haven't heard too many Habakkuk's. You know, you've got eight letters and three of them are K's. I've never heard any mother call that name down at the playground. So if the question is Habakkuk, the correct answer is, no thanks, I just had one, or sorry, I'm trying to quit. Or maybe the question is, can anything good come from Habakkuk? Well, actually, there's some great verses in this book, like chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, the righteous will live by his faith. That sounds like Paul. I mean, he must have been hundreds of years ahead of his time to have that kind of an insight and then chapter 2 verse 14 for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea we still haven't seen that so he was thousands of years ahead of his time in fact Habakkuk is one of my heroes even though there is nothing impressive on his resume He never performed any miracles, there were no signs and wonders, he didn't speak in tongues, he wasn't pastoring a church of thousands, he didn't lead a great revival. I don't think he would have had many likes on YouTube. In fact, Habakkuk had some serious questions about how God was running the universe, and he struggled with disappointment. The reason Habakkuk is one of my heroes is because he teaches me how to live defiantly, Unlike most of the other prophets who are in your face with uh, ultimatums, Yahweh or the highway, Habakkuk reveals his bewilderment, his broken heart. He's just like us. If the road we're traveling is difficult, Eugene Peterson writes, Habakkuk would be a most welcome companion because he would understand, for that is his journey. But he would not leave us wandering aimlessly in the shadow lands of doubt and defeat. He would show us a path upward into the highlands where we could experience victory. Here's how the book starts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? destruction and violence are before me there is strife and conflict abounds therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails the wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted he sounds kind of like david in the psalms habakkuk was profoundly disturbed by the sin that was contaminating his culture if you look at verse four we can imagine seeing some of that happening right here in canada maybe we're not as progressive as we claim to be well the only thing that disturbed habakkuk more than the toxic trends in his society was the fact that god wasn't doing anything about it that was even more disturbing why do you tolerate wrong have you ever asked that question i have I can't help wondering, God, aren't there supposed to be consequences? I mean, there's all this sin, but we don't see many consequences. Someone said, if God doesn't judge modern society for its sin, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. God, where are the consequences? Well, God hasn't answered my question yet, but he did answer Habakkuk. Verse five, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And that is an understatement. God reveals there are consequences. He will punish the wicked, the people of Israel for their disobedience. But in a way that no one would expect. And the demolition contract was already assigned. God was going to allow the evil Babylonians to conquer their land, destroy Jerusalem, and even not build their temple. I'm going to do something that you would not believe even if you were told. That was inconceivable. Babylon was the most evil nation on earth, the most violent, the most inhumane. They were the zombie apocalypse. It's like ISIS. Would God use terrorists to punish us? That's just not right. Well, that caused a meltdown. Habakkuk lost it. God, you can't be serious. Babylon, you don't have to go that far. I mean, if Israel, on the scale of unrighteousness, was a 9 out of 10, Babylon was 99. Babylon deserves punishment far more than Israel did. This was inconceivable. Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Then why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those, those more righteous than themselves? All of a sudden, Israel is righteous. Why do you tolerate the wicked who are swallowing up those more righteous than themselves? How can you let that happen? But then the revelation continued, and God revealed how the Babylonian empire would itself be destroyed. They too would experience the consequences of their sin, and in their case, they would never recover. It was finished. And that's because God was still sovereign. Chapter 2, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. No one gets away with sin. No one. There are consequences. Not even the chosen people get away with sin. They were not granted a special exemption, and it was now their turn. They were the next to be judged. Now, ultimately, they would be restored, but first they would sustain the worst defeat in their entire history, and it would be worse than 9-11. Imagine all of Manhattan reduced to rubble. Well, this would be even worse than that because the whole nation would be devastated, not just the cities but also the vineyards and the olive crops, the fields, the flocks, the herds. It would be apocalyptic. And this shook Habakkuk to to the depths of his being. In chapter 3, verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. It sounds like he's almost going to have a nervous breakdown. This was going to be terrible, horrible. You know, when you read the Old Testament prophets, you can't help wondering what God's judgment would look like here in Canada. Imagine a stock market crash where the TSX lost 14,000 points, where the Canadian dollar would be worth seven cents U.S., And we're all that's left on the shelves at Superstore, two cans of tomato soup and some Limburger cheese. Bon appetit. What would God's judgment look like here in Canada? It would be devastating. Well, in Israel, verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle, in the stalls. This is their stock market report. These are their major commodities. You know, in a bad year, you might have the figs and grapes would be down, but the the olives would still be up. Maybe the cattle would be down, but sheep was up. There was always something positive, but this was post-apocalyptic. Everything was destroyed and devastated. It's hard to imagine when you're trying to cope with a no good day that something even worse happens until it gets terrible and horrible. What do you do when everything goes wrong? Because that's what's happening here. Maybe none of us have ever experienced anything quite this bad because there's always something that can be encouraging, something good. But with Habakkuk, everything had gone wrong. He's talking about the Babylonian invasion. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk realizes God is going to do something. God is at work. He is going to dispense judgment. And the most healthy response for him is to wait patiently. That's the hardest thing for me to do. I have a hard time waiting for God to work. You know, it's kind of like driving down the highway when you come all of a sudden to a barricade and you see a sign, detour, road under construction, sorry for the inconvenience, and you lose it. No way. You can't do this to me. Don't you know who I am? I have appointments to keep and miles to go before I sleep. This is outrageous. Sorry for the inconvenience. Are you kidding? This is far worse than an inconvenience. This is ruining my life. See, that's the thing about wanting to see God work in the world. Wanting to see some judgment, some consequences wanting to see some demolition, it could get really messy. God, why aren't you doing something about injustice and pornography and and drug trafficking? God, they're even going to legalize marijuana. Stop them. We want to see God shaking things up. We want to see some judgment, some consequences, but it's going to be like that sign on the barricade. It's going to be very, very inconvenient for all of us. Whenever there's a construction site, it's quite a mess. It looks like chaos, and you could easily get hurt. When judgment falls, you better wear a hard hat. But what do we do when we face unbearably difficult circumstances? Do we panic? Well, Habakkuk decided to wait patiently for God to work out his will. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And while he was waiting, things just got worse. The fig tree does not bud. No grapes on the vines. The olive crop failed. The fields produced no food. No sheep in the pen. No cattle in the stalls. You know, that's the equivalent of uh, no Wi-Fi, no Facebook, no Netflix, no Amazon, no Google, no Internet. You could use your iPhone as a coaster. Would that be inconvenient? To face that kind of a situation? Sorry for the inconvenience. So while Habakkuk waited, his circumstances only got worse. But Habakkuk made a decision not only to wait patiently, he decided he was going to wait defiantly. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, etc. etc. Verse 9 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The only thing Habakkuk had left that could bring him any joy at all was God. Because in his surrounding circumstances, everything had gone wrong. All he had left was God. So I'm going to rejoice in God, my Savior. He decided to defy his circumstances to defy his feelings, to defy his fears, and instead reroute all of his attention away from anxiety towards worship. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. See, the problem is that worry takes up a lot of energy and time. And if you're a person of average mass, Worry can probably burn up about 90% of your energy. That's why you feel so fatigued and even sometimes paralyzed. You can't do anything because you have no energy. You're you're confused. You don't know what to do. Worry is not an energy-efficient alternative to problem-solving. That's why it's far better to unplug worry and dedicate all of your resources towards rejoicing. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. In the most difficult circumstances of his life, Habakkuk defied his natural instincts and interrupted his problems with praise. And here are the consequences of righteous defiance. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk could get no strength from his circumstances. There was nothing incoming that was energizing him from what he saw. It just drained the life out of him. And so he decided that the sovereign Lord would be his only strength. I don't know if you've ever been there where you had nothing except God. Everything else was a loss. But we always have God, and He becomes our strength. So instead of giving up and letting a crisis drain all of our strength and hope, we can rejoice in the Lord because nothing energizes us more than rejoicing in God. You experience that when you come to church? You know, if you really get into these hymns, if you're just standing there kind of mumbling and moving your mouth, it's probably not going to happen. But if you're really getting into this stuff, if you're really looking at the words and, and focusing on and you're just repeating those words with all your heart, you will be energized, whether you have jet lag or not. You know, there's just something about worship. You probably had some tremendous worship times in Romania. Other countries worship way beyond anything that we experience here. There's just something about real worship that gives us strength and energy. I've sat in African services for three hours. I didn't understand one word, but I left there with this tremendous amount of energy because of the worship. It's amazing. God is our strength, and he is the sovereign Lord, which means he's in control. You know, whenever I feel fatigued and just weak and worn out and I'm, I'm fed up, I ask myself a question. Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that verse always sends a power surge through my being. There's power in God's word. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Habakkuk not only had new strength, he was also developing new skills. It says, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go on the heights. Like hinds' feet on high places. Some of you know that book. That's what this is all about. That comes from Habakkuk. Habakkuk is no longer down in the ditch, wallowing in discouragement. His change of attitude has resulted in a change of altitude. Warren Wiersbe says, to walk in the high places means to live in victory. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. You know, when deer or bighorn sheep descend into a valley to feed, they're taking a risk. Because that's where the predators are waiting and lurking. And they stalk especially those who are vulnerable or weak. And Satan likewise knows our weaknesses. That's where he plans to attack. But when deer encounter predators, they escape by running back up through the rocks, leaping from one ledge to another so fluently. They're so agile and graceful. And when you watch them, you think that's not possible because their footwork defies all obstacles. Their hooves give them a tremendous advantage on the canyon cliffs. The predators can't catch them. They can't even follow them because their paws don't enable them to negotiate that rugged terrain. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the the heights. How's your footwork? You know, in our spiritual lives, we find ourselves in many different situations, and often it's down in the valleys. But even there, God will protect us. In fact, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, where we will fear no evil. And in our case, we are not ever to flee from the enemy. We flee temptation, but we do not flee from the tempter. James 4, 7 reminds us, submit yourselves then to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We don't flee from the enemy. They flee from us as we resist them, having submitted ourselves to God. So we don't have anything to fear, even in the valleys. But God's word continually calls us back up into the high country, into those high places. For example, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him In the heavenly realms ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 is very very enticing and tantalizing it says god blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in christ i want to get in on some of that i want to find out what that's all about so i got to spend a lot more time up there in the high country how do we do that well colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 explains Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. See, that's what happens when we come to church. We come here and our mind is absolutely set on earthly things, on all of our circumstances, on our discouragements. That's all we can think about, all the things that are wrong. then we come in here and we begin to change our altitude. We begin to find something higher. We begin to look towards the throne, look towards God. And what a difference that makes. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The heights, that's our natural habitat. We need to spend more time there. Because as we spend time there, not only does that give us strength, but we become more sure-footed through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible has a lot to say about our footwork. For example, Proverbs 24, verse 16. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Isn't that encouraging? Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. You can change. Mary Lou mentioned that in her testimony. Is it going to work this time? Yes, yes it is. Jude, the 24th verse, talks about to him who is able to keep you from falling. God's ability is... God is able, able even to keep you from falling. That's amazing. I've experienced that in my life in a number of areas. Romans chapter 14, verse 4. To our own master, we stand or fall. And we will stand, for the Lord is able to make us stand. Those are the things that help us understand the sure footing that we can have in this life. We don't have to fall. We don't have to stumble. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go on the heights. And as we spend more time in the high country, we develop our footwork so that we don't stumble over every disappointment, we don't fall into temptation. We can leap over those deep chasms and those crevices of discouragement with amazing agility until the highlands of victory become our natural habitat. When I watch Habakkuk up here on the heights in hurtling over these terrible circumstances, I think, that's not possible. I, I couldn't do that. Well, the reason is because I haven't spent enough time up on those treacherous trails. The higher you go up a mountain, the steeper it gets. I prefer to stay down near the timber line where it's safer. But that's not where God wants us to be. He wants us to take some risks. He wants us to be more defiant. When it seems impossible, it's only because I haven't developed that same spiritual agility. But I know that It is possible. If Habakkuk could do it, so can you. Because our God is exactly the same. He didn't have a bigger God than we do. It's the exact same God. So I know what I have to do to improve my footwork. And the best way to do that is to live defiantly. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior until the day that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This week, spend as much time as you can up in the high country. For pr- our prayer, I'm going to just read verse chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, we stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as the praise team comes to lead us in one final song of praise.